0: This episode of control delete is brought to you by USAA. USAA is passionate about what they do, ensuring the financial security of the military community and their families. And as an employer, USAA creates conditions for employees to succeed. USAA is hiring for customer service reps, designers, developers, insurance, banking, and more. Visit them online and see over 200 jobs available. It's an organization that provides opportunities for you to collaborate, create, and lead. Find your purpose with USAA. Visit usaajobs.com and join the team. Hello, and welcome to Control Out Delete, a podcast that may round your corners and chamfer your edges, but won't curve your screens. I like that one. That one's from Gabzota on <laughs> Twitter G A B Z O T A. We love your intros. Anyhow, I am Neil Patel. I'm the editor in chief of The Verge. I'm joined as always by my friend, Verge executive editor, uh, Recode editor at large, Mr. Walter Mossberg, the Walter
1: Cation himself.
0: How's it going, Walter?
1: Well, it's a Walter Cation day. What can I tell you? Uh, it's going, it's going great, Neil. It's going great. So we have a, we have a bunch
0: of stuff to talk about in this, sh- uh, on, on this show. Um, right. One um, is that the Atlanta Falcons are going to beat the New England Patriots. I had a bunch of Tom <laughs> Brady-related intros that I did not read this week. Two, you wrote. I think we should, we should talk about your column first. You wrote something of a departure for you. You wrote something about policy and politics and how it affects the tech industry, specifically as it relates to Trump's actions around immigration and vetting and all that sort of thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know you want to talk about this. My wife wrote something for The Verge this week, which is not usual uh, about television. So a bunch of stuff to talk about. But let's start with the big, serious. I'm thing. not sure which is more important. Actually, I'm I mean, pretty sure good. I know which one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's start. Let's let's start heavy, and then we can end on sort of the lighter, the yeah, lighter okay. thing, and, and give All people right. a breath of fresh air before we before we it's off. But yeah, you wrote about sort of the tech industry and how it. How it relates to the, the, the big policy discussion around immigration?
1: Right. So obviously there's a there's a big debate about President Trump's executive order, which mm-hmm. affected immigration and and refugee admission from uh, seven Muslim majority countries, and curiously not others. And I decided what I would do this week uh, was was two things. One kind of zoom out a little and talk about immigration more broadly than just his order. His order has brought this all to the fore. But I think I think there is a certain uh, nativist tone to his first week or two in office and to some extent his campaign. I don't mean to suggest that he's ever said I'm against immigration you know, totally or anything like that. But certainly the advisors he's selected and, and, and some of the history they have uh, don't uh, suggest a particular friendliness to immigration. And then because I cover tech, it occurred to me that, wow, it's kind of amazing that what is, in my opinion, the most dynamic and probably successful industry at the moment and for the last while in America is actually loaded with immigrants, many of whom are running some of the most familiar and, and important uh, tech companies and therefore companies in the American economy. So I decided to write about immigration not only as a, as, a, as a humane good and as a part of the American founding experience, but as an economic good and as something that has uh, – that, that pays dividends in innovation and uh, – I started out by talking about Samuel Slater, who we all know, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, I believe. Uh, right. A, a, a small hamlet that we discuss quite frequently <laughs> on The
1: Verge. <laughs> right. Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I can't think of a day that we haven't. We have. A I mean, Patucket there's Redmond, beat. there's
1: Cupertino, and there's Pawtucket. <laughs> right. That's well, pretty much what we talk. Pawtucket about. was the Red, Redmond <laughs> and Cupertino of America in about 1793, <laughs> and and for a while thereafter. And this guy, you know, there was a there, there some of the rich merchants up in Rhode Island mm-hmm. uh, wanted to build a mill to uh, you know, to do serious production of high-quality textiles, but they didn't know how to do it. And this 21-year-old arrived from England uh, who had worked in these mills, uh, which had this advanced technology there, and he applied it to this mill in America and it became the first kind of successful water-driven uh, textile mill. Now, that may seem like a really old, weirdo thing to attached to a column about immigration or tech. But it really wasn't because, first of all, it was tech. Secondly, it, it was the start of a very successful textile industry in America, which was a, a big deal industry, just the yeah. way the tech industry uh, that we cover is uh, today. And my point is, from that day, I think the factory opened in 1793, which amazingly was only four years after the Constitution was signed. So it's that. Early in our history, uh, to this day, immigrants have really made a difference. Not only in the cultural life of the country and diversity and all of that, but but in our economy and in our most the most important and innovative parts of our economy.
0: Right, and I think what you are drawing the line to very clearly is all of the companies in Silicon Valley now. Right, are it's not just at the top, and you pointed out a bunch of people at the top. It's the, their ranks of engineers and designers, they, they are wholly dependent on immigration policy working for them.
1: Right. Absolutely. And, and not just – I mean some, some of our uh, listeners know about the H-1B visas, which is a, a, a narrow program that uh, is meant to allow specialty jobs to be filled from overseas overseas. Uh, if it is determined that you know they can't be filled by uh, native-born Americans, right? Um, that's what people think of when they think of immigration. But it's much, much deeper and broader than that in tech. And uh, all of us who are journalists who cover this know this because we go to meetings all the time. I mentioned this in the column. Where you know you talk to program managers, you talk to engineers, you talk to people in the middle ranks or, or the or the you know the the lower ranks of these companies. They come from from uh, uh, you know Russia. They come from India. They come from Israel. They come from the UK. They come from France. They come from you know Ireland. They come from just everywhere. And then you have the kind of the second tier people who are super important. I just mentioned two of them that are that people might know one is johnny ive the probably the most influential designer of tech products or or maybe designer uh, of the last 15 years Uh, he's at apple he's you know if if you have an iphone if you have a mac if you have an ipad he was the guy in charge of designing it and he has a team obviously people working for him but he was the guy in charge of designing it now he designs their does their software design as well he's from he's a british person and in the news recently was another example, um, Hugo Barra, who was an important executive in the Google Android team and has now been hired by Facebook to run all their virtual reality efforts, including Oculus, I guess. And, and Hugo is from Brazil, born in Brazil. Yeah. But beyond that, just to tick off a few, uh, which I, I think we ought to. Um, mm-hmm. So Tesla – Elon Musk, born in South Africa. Microsoft, Satya Nadella, born and raised in India. Google, Sundar Pichai, born and raised in India. Uh, Alphabet, or in the old days, Google. Uh, The co-founder, Sergey Brin, a a refugee from Russia, from the Soviet Union actually in in those days – um, I once actually had a lovely lunch with his father, who was a mathematics professor at the University of Maryland. When Sergey came to DC and invited me to lunch with his dad, and Steve Jobs, you know, who is the the iconic figure in, still in people's minds, the late Steve Jobs, uh, for having done all these innovations, this is a guy whose father was a Syrian, whose birth father was a Syrian uh, immigrant. I mentioned that Andy Grove. I don't know how many of our younger listeners will, will know his name, but Andy Grove was an incredibly important guy. He was one of the first three people at Intel. He was a mentor to Steve Jobs and many other people in Silicon Valley. And of course, Intel chips are in are in everything, yeah. uh, uh, not mobile, but you know, you know, laptops, desktops. Hey, they got some uh,
0: modems in the iPhone. Big, big, and they
1: got some modems in the iPhone. Big and lawsuit Andy, around that. And Andy Grove fled communism in Hungary. Uh, so, Silicon Valley, from the very top, from the from the icons who are no longer with us, to the people running companies, you know, who, who are still with us. Safra Katz, the CEO of Oracle, is Israeli. Um, from the top to the middle to the day to day people that actually come up with these ideas and engineer them and market them, uh, is is just um, you know loaded with immigrants. Immigration has helped to build the strongest – I think the strongest, most dynamic and most admired sector of our economy globally, which is the tech sector. And so it's not only right and it's not only part of the American – what America stands for to have – to be pro-immigration, but it has huge economic benefits as well. And that was what I was trying to convey today.
0: Uh, so it, in your column, everyone should read it. it, it is a Walt column. It's excellent as always. But you actually emailed back and forth with Sundar Pachai a little bit about it. I did. What 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 was the sense that you were getting from him? What, what, what did he say to you?
1: Well, he – I mean <laughs> I emailed him and uh, I emailed him directly. And he – I mean he responded I think in less than an hour and said, that's a great idea for a column. I asked him if he would give me some kind of quote about – importance of immigration, not not just the Trump controversy, but the importance of immigration uh, to uh, Google and to tech. And he said, that sounds like a great idea for a piece um, and I'll be happy to help. And then he emailed me a quote, which I used. Yeah. And then today, he emailed me something saying how much he had enjoyed the piece and how important he thought raising these issues were. So – this clearly resonated uh, heavily with him. I also mentioned something that Satya Nadella, the CEO at Microsoft, said not to me in an email, but in a Q and A he did, I think yesterday at Microsoft with employees, where he or where he or the maybe it was Monday, where he um, he said many things and he talked more directly about the Trump order, but he talked about how the Immigration policy of the United States uh, had made it possible for him to be here and to do the things that he's done. And it's just, you know, most countries don't have this kind of approach. And in fact, one of the things I said in the column, and I really mean this, is that if you were sort of thinking of countries as companies with business plans, if you were drawing up a business plan for countries in 1789, you really couldn't have done better than the American founders did in <laughs> many way. In many ways, but in particular, for for this uh, uh, topic, by by deciding that this country would welcome the most ambitious people from around the world to build their lives here as full participants. And I think people forget that to be an immigrant and to pull up roots and to come here, you might do it for political reasons. You, know, you might be a refugee. That's only some of the immigrants are refugees. We happen to have a gigantic refugee problem in the world right now. But there have been times when we haven't. Uh, they're always an important category and they should be admitted regardless of whether they have any economic impact or not because that's a purely humanitarian thing. But you know, other immigrants sometimes come for other – just to have more political freedom. And others come for economic opportunity and those founders of of America, among all the other incredibly smart things they did like checks and balances and the First Amendment and all the other great things they did, decided that this country would would be built by opening up its arms to the world and saying, you know, come here and you can do great things. It's it's even a theme – I haven't gotten tickets and been able to go, but it's a theme of the show Hamilton, as Indeed. you know. So this is really an important thing, and I and I think that you know you can narrowly look at the Trump executive order and say, well, it's 120 days, and it's seven countries, and it's you know the refugee thing from Syria. Even that's got a time limit on it, and he just wants to figure things out, and it'll all be back to normal. Or you can look at it and say there's a kind of nativist. Thread running through his America First inauguration speech and other things, and I think the latter is is real and worrisome.
0: Yeah, and I I, it, I think you were before the, we started the show. You were saying you you had some Facebook comments about how it's not a ban. Um, you know, it's this pause, and yes, that is the text of the executive order. But Trump himself continually refers to it as a ban. Yeah. The White House has referred to it as a ban. Yeah,
1: Sean Spicer, who was the one, uh, the press secretary, who who uh, who was making an argument that it wasn't a ban. There, there are CNN was showing clips of him saying it was a ban from two days before. You know, yeah. and uh, the president tweeting that it wasn't a ban tweeted that it was a ban two three days before. So, yeah, there, this is you know, and there is also a religious factor here um, because. You know, he made it some distinction between Christians and Muslims coming from these countries. Yeah. So there are some worrisome aspects to this. I think that um, clearly have uh, bothered pe- more people than just me because people were out at the air- airports pretty much all over the country. I mean, uh, n- and not just in the coastal liberal elites. I mean, you know, uh, people were out in Dallas and yeah. I, I mean, you, need-
0: you, you brought up Sergey Brin earlier. Dieter ran yeah. into him at SFO. I mean, we sent reporters out to the airports, uh, yeah. so Dieter was there. Dieter Bone, Dieter Bone we mentioned this is our, our Dieter show. Bone reference. Uh, yep. And of course, he asked him about Chrome and Android. Uh, no, he didn't do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he saw Sergey there and, and went and spoke to him. And Sergey said, "I'm here on my personal capacity." Uh, but then he said to another uh, reporter, "I'm here because I'm a refugee." Um, so the the it's funny, you know the. Googler spontaneously organized a protest the other day. Uh, they're asking their executives, what are you doing about this? It's the the I think listeners might be wondering why on earth are Neil and Walt talking about Trump and immigration so much on this on this episode of the show. But in our world, everyone is talking about it. It is what the companies want to talk to us about. Um, right. I have gotten so many PR people from companies who usually send me like emails about their new products. You know, uh, there's a new button in Facebook that makes it easier to share two photos at one. I mean, like that. Those emails have been supplanted in the past two weeks by, hey, here's the email our CEO sent to the entire company decrying the Trump immigration ban. Yeah, that is a that's not a normal moment for our industry, and it's because the people who work in it, as far as you know we see and talk to and can tell are deeply deeply affected
1: and emotionally upset about the idea of a nativist united states i i couldn't agree more with what you just said it's true um and i think the people who work in these companies now obviously some of the people who work in these companies may may agree with donald trump may have voted for donald trump but for the most part i think a lot of these people how are they voted or whatever their polit their traditional politics are uh, Republican or Democrat or whatever it is, libertarian. There's a lot of libertarians in Silicon Valley. These people are either they're immigrants or they, and I'm talking about the rank and file here, or they are not immigrants, but they work every day with people who are immigrants. Right. And they, so to them, this is America. what America is all about. And, and that's I, I think that is what America is all about, and that's why I use the Samuel Slater Pawtucket example. <laughs> it goes all the way back 200 years. This is nothing new. This this is this is this was right from the right from the get go. Well, I mean,
0: and, look, I grew up a, one of the few brown kids in Racine, Wisconsin, in, in the 80s, and I was explicitly taught in schools in the public schools of Racine, Wisconsin, that. Uh, America, unlike every other nation in the world, was not defined by bloodlines or tradition or heritage, but by, the, but, but by its ideals, right, of equality and Right. Freedom. It was
1: a country of ideas. That's uh, right.
0: And that is – I mean that is to me the root of like American patriotism. And so this new moment when it's we're going to tightly define who we are is – you know, it's it, it's at odds with how many people choose to think of America. So it, it's interesting to me that the tech industry has come out in front. I saw, I'm actually curious for your thoughts on this. I've seen a lot of discussion recently, and I've even heard it from some of these other PR people, that the tech industry is way out in front and sort of other industries in America are not so far out in front. And there's pressure. There's not only pressure from you know, their employees and People, you know, affiliated with the industry. There's pressure from the press. Are you going to come out and say something about this to yeah. these particular groups? In a way that, you know, we haven't made a list of every car company CEO and what they're saying about the immigration policy in the United States. Why do you think that pressure exists for the tech industry, and why do you think they're responding to it in this particular way?
1: Well, I just, I, I look, I, I thought about this when I was writing the column, and I actually tried uh, to see if anybody had. Kept records on this, and I couldn't. I was unsuccessful, but I I would be willing to bet you that of the major industries in the United States, and I'm sure we'll hear from people who who have facts that show otherwise, not alternative facts, but real facts. <laughs> and and by the way, if we do, I'd welcome that. But uh, you know, I think the tech industry probably. Let me put say this probably is the most diverse industry in terms of immigration. Of the major big industries. Now, maybe an industry I'm not familiar with, I don't know the chemical industry or the pharma industry or something is has even more immigrant CEOs and immigrant, uh, you know, important second tier people and immigrant rank and file engineers and uh, you know other other folks. but um, but we know that this is true of the tech industry, and I think that's, you know that you look at that walkout at Google. Uh, you, you know I think you have, regardless of what the CEOs and the board are saying, you have people in these companies who are very upset because just to repeat what I said a minute ago, they're either immigrants or they work with immigrants all the time, and they feel strongly about it. And it isn't, you know, a, a lot of these companies had a handful of people directly affected by the Trump order. But it's the it's the possibility or the or the fear that has been engendered by it that I think has moved this this industry that has depended so much on immigration. And you know, I did see. I think the CEO of Ford, Mark Fields, came out and said something the other day. And uh, so I think it's beginning to happen in some other industries. But uh, I think tech's been tech's under much more pressure.
0: Well, also, and- I
1: don't think Trump can.
0: Trump can't tweet about you know Google Jobs the way that he can tweet about Ford Jobs. <laughs> you know I think there's yeah. I think these CEOs are under tremendous pressure to keep their their share prices up in an administration where um, you know Trump tweets the Air Force One is overpriced we're not ordering it and Boeing share price drops or he right. tweets um, about the f-35 fighter and i think it's lockheed martin's share price yeah. drops no that's right he can't be like google sucks like google's share price isn't going down if he says google sucks like they have a little bit of cover um yeah. in that world i had no, this quote right. here that you know we were talking about sooner earlier and such earlier steve bannon who is um one of trump's advisors very senior he's now on the national security council <laughs> yeah <laughs> well he was in the navy no uh, this is from 2015, but he was interviewing Trump actually when he was still at Breitbart news. And he said, Bannon said when two thirds or three quarters of the CEOs in Silicon Valley are from South Asia or from Asia, I think. And then he trailed off and he said, he finished by saying a country is more than an economy or a civic society. That is to me, that's the, I mean, I'm South Asian and I'm, you know, I I run, I run this part of the tech industry, this little, this little website that we have. So to me, it's like, well, come on, man. Like I was, I was raised in Wisconsin. Like it doesn't matter that I'm South Asian, right? Like th- I made this thing here in America. So like it's that sort of rhetoric around this that I think really rankles the tech industry. Yeah,
1: and it is. It, I can't prove this, but it is being reported that Bannon and a guy named Steve Miller, who was an aide to Senator Sessions, soon to be Attorney General, confirmed,
0: Sessions, confirmed by confirmed, of, yeah, today.
1: soon, but not sworn. Is he sworn in? I, I don't think know. So. You know, soon to be attorney general, or may, maybe by the time people listen to this, he will be attorney general. But the point is, I think Bannon, along with Miller, uh, is reported to have written that or drafted at least that executive order. Yeah. And this is the this is what I mean. This is why I decided it was time to write a piece uh, through the lens of the tech industry uh, about nativism versus embracing immigration. I Do think you
0: recall? A bit- the tech industry ever being so vocal about the seemingly non-tech related policy
1: As some of the tech industry was vocal about gay marriage i think mm-hmm. uh, and and prop 8 some of the tech industry i mean the tech industry has always uh, not maybe always but at least in the last 10 years i think i certainly think things like civil you know civil rights and gay gay rights um, which are a Type of civil rights, of course, but you know the tech industry has been uh, involved in that. Has the tech industry taken positions on I don't know the Iraq War or <laughs> right. Obamacare? No, I don't think they do that. I mean, they do that through their lobbying somehow. Maybe I don't know right. some issues, probably tax issues, whatever. But um, uh, and they always want more H one B visas and things like that. But Broadly, like this? Uh, no, they're and I, and I don't think they, you know, when I think of Sundar Pichai, it's clear. And when I read what Satya said, and I think Tim Cook actually talked more about it just today, um, the day we're recording this, uh, which is uh, Wednesday. I think these people sincerely believe that immigration is a good thing, uh, not just for their companies, but for the country. Uh, and, they're, and they don't want to see it shut down or, or narrowed in a, in a significant way. So I don't mean to call them hypocrites but I also think – so they're not, they're not hypocrites but I think they'd rather not be involved in politics and government. They really would rather not be. Right. Uh, that's always been their sort of attitude and um, I just don't think they have any choice. They, they're getting – pressure from the press. They're getting pressure from their customers. They're getting pressure from their employees. And they know what I wrote today to be true. They know that their industry is very dependent and and very much representative of the values and virtue of immigration. So all this pressure and the fact that they probably believe that anyway is causing them to have to be out front on this. Yeah, and, and I, I and, think
0: I also I mean, there's a strong strain of sort of independence. You might call it libertarianism in the tech industry. Always, right? We're gonna go and right. Here's an app that's gonna disrupt the taxi industry and just deal with it, right? And right. Um, here's Facebook. We're gonna disrupt the entire media industry, and there'll be a controversy about fake news. But like, deal with it. We made it, and the people like it. Um, that's there. It's always been there. Uh, there is a lot of lobbying that goes on under this, uh, you know, under the covers, behind the scenes. I, I think the Washington Post reported this week that Google, which has long been tied to the Democratic Party, is you know, they threw like a party for Republican Congress people that cost like fifty
1: thousand dollars the other day. Sure, like, who are you? Like, God. but they're no different. It's that's that is no di- look. I've lived in Washington a long time. Yeah, that's no difference than the oil industry or the broadcasters or. Any other industry uh, that's here, um, trying to make sure they have some lines of communication with everybody, right? On the on the run of the mill day to day lobbying issues, like taxes, is a good example, or what's in the trade law that gets passed, or whatever that might directly affect them. You know, the repatriation of capital, for instance, matters to Apple in particular, but probably to also to a bunch of these other guys. And um, so, uh, you know, that's day-to-day lobbying. I think what we're seeing with their statements on this uh, executive order is something different. And it it is a result of a combination of the pressure and what they actually believe and see around them every day.
0: So I have a slightly different read on that, which is most of these companies, you know, I, I, I hate to we talk about them in extreme detail on the show and how they're different all the time and how their products are different and they compete. So I, I hate to to paint over with a broad brush, but right. forgive me. But go ahead and do it. Uh, yeah, just forgive me. I, I, I think you'll see why I'm doing it. Uh, most of these companies, they market their products and services. Startups in particular love to market their products and services as having some impact on how we live, right? And like the, if you watch the show Silicon Valley, the way that that is expressed in the, its broadest parody form is it'll change the world right here's a new photo sharing app that will change the world and they trade middle out compression yeah exactly (laughs) 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 man that show uh that show's gonna have a great (laughs) next season now um hey but i'm still getting
1: residual checks for my four minutes (laughs) on that show
0: <laughs> you better be. But anyway, uh, right? I mean, they they trade on these values of of constant iterative improvement. You know, The Verge exists because we saw the technology industry radically affecting the culture in which we live. Yeah, they they know it, they see it, and I think this is a moment where the pressure is not only from us and their employees and and, and everybody around them, but. The values that they built their company on, the the message that they have sent to recruit these people to sell their products, to make their mark in the world, demanded, well, if you're going to sit around and say you're making the world a better place, you have to do it all the time. You you don't get to selectively ignore something that you think is going to make the country and the world a necessarily worse place. And I think that is, that's why you saw them all do it first, right? Because that is the the... That is the language that they speak about their products almost always. And so if you are constantly, as a customer, as a reporter, whoever, in a relationship with these companies where the way they talk to you about their products is about the nature of the culture and the world and, you know, Google software is going to find all the pictures of you having a good time ever and, like, show them to you and, like, everything is going to be more diverse and better, then this is a moment when those values are being challenged almost directly.
1: I I think that's definitely part of it. Another part of it is that they, uh, you know, they sell all over the world. I think we, you know, Apple reported these huge uh, sales and earnings yesterday, and I think think the number was sixty four percent of revenue. Yeah, something like that was from outside the United States. Um, they can't afford to be perceived as American nativists. It's not good. It's not what they believe, I don't think. At least I've never met – I'm unaware of, of, of a tech CEO who believes in that. Uh, I could be wrong, but I don't think there, any of the ones we mentioned believe that. Uh, but but beyond being what they believe, they can't afford to have that perception out there. They have to separate themselves from whatever the global perception of Trump is on this and probably on some other things.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because it- – you know they, They've taken a side against Trump on this issue, but I'm sure Apple is much happier about his tax policy regarding repatriation of of cash than they might have been with Obama. They have an entire you – know, we've talked again at length in the show about uh, American manufacturing and how you might move right. some high-tech manufacturing here. I mean they have to work with this administration for as long as the man is the president um, – Which could be four years, eight years, or you know, twenty five minutes. Six weeks. Yeah, who knows? (laughs) Uh, But it's funny that they're 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 willing to to play a chip, right? They're willing to lose some capital on this issue. Um, So here's one more question, and I think this is this is the best response that I've heard, the best criticism, the best kind of counterargument, which is they they endlessly talk about diversity. These companies they release diversity reports that show that they make very little progress. they rely on these H-1B visas. Isn't this their moment to say, hey, we're going to do better at STEM education in this, this pipeline of talent so we don't need the H-1B visas so that we can improve this, the, the, even you know the, the regional diversity, the political diversity, the gender diversity, the sexuality diversity of our companies by getting more people educated better so we don't need these immigration policies?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not as if they haven't said that before and even done some things toward that. But um, they need to step it up. Uh, you know, one way to counter the nativist impulse, which is dangerous to them, is to say we're all for the American worker as well. Uh, I'm sure most of their workforces are actually not immigrants. Uh, it's just striking how many immigrants there are there, uh, and that me you know. They they need a bigger pool to draw from. Even if we believe it or not, it's not that easy to get a job, even as a clerk at an Apple store. I mean, you know, you you need something, and um, so yeah, this is the perfect moment to do that. And I did mention that in the piece, and it's the time for them to stand up. But this thing has been such a whirlwind that I, you know, I don't think anybody has been able to stand and make carefully calculated. You know, yeah, plans and statements. <laughs> start starting from the White House itself, and then moving right on through.
0: If one thing is clear, it's that there's been a distinct lack of care through it. from from almost like every sector. There's there's a lot of rushing, and I don't I don't know that that's that might be best for how you run a business, right? To move fast to break things is not necessarily best for policy making at the government, but right. Okay, let's take a quick break. Everyone can breathe. We'll come back. We'll tell some jokes about TVs. (laughs) This episode of Control-Walt-Delete is also brought to you by Vivint Smart Home. Not long ago, the term smart home simply meant a remote-controlled home. But now there's a company that's worthy of the intelligence that the title smart home implies, Vivint Smart Home. As the number one smart home provider in the United States, Vivint Smart Home is already used by more than a million customers and counting. With all the smart cameras you'll need from indoor, doorbell, and outdoor wireless security cameras to smart thermostats, locks, and voice-controlled Amazon Echo, you won't believe how many unexpected conveniences Vivint offers. Whether you're traveling or in the middle of a busy day, you can easily adjust your thermostat, lock, and unlock your doors, check the live feed of your cameras, all right from your phone on Vivint's 4.5-star rated app. Best of all, you get award-winning, around-the-clock professional security monitoring, which may help you qualify for a 15 to 20% discount on your homeowner's insurance premiums. And with Vivint's free, customized smart home consultations and free professional installation, getting a smart home is simple and easy. With all the benefits that the Vivint Smart Home and Security System offers, it's no wonder they are the number one smart home services provider in the United States. Go to Vivint.com slash Walt to learn more. That's vivin dot slash Walt. Okay. Let's, let's do something lighter, Walt. You want to – let's breathe.
1: I want to say that I my favorite column <laughs> – prior to my column, of course, <laughs> that, that appeared today, but my favorite column on The Verge uh, uh, this week was written by a non-staffer. A, non- <laughs> <laughs> a non-staffer. And I will
0: admit this to you. She wrote it without a contract and didn't get paid.
1: What? <laughs> What? Isn't that a labor law violation I, 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 of some kind? I didn't kind?
0: realize it would rock, But yeah, no, I, I stole some labor I mean, this week.
1: seriously, <laughs> the Trump administration could come down on <laughs> yeah, that because no, right? they care about labor law. Yeah. Um, so this was your your wife. My wife. Becky. I'm not going to mispronounce her. Oh, Becky yeah. Molin who I, I'm actually
0: shocked that you two haven't met. You two would love each other.
1: Well, that's we, your fault. We
0: gotta, you got it. Well, here's the thing. So, <laughs> this is the last episode of Control Alt Delete that I'm recording in our old office in in New York. Then we're we move to the new office. It's beautiful. There's dedicated podcast studios yeah. that are going to come online. You're going to come to New York. We're going to do one together in person, and then we'll go out to dinner. It'll be great. all
1: right. Done. All right. Done. Deal. Anyway, so Becky, <laughs> I can't believe this. Becky wrote a great product review. She did. She did. Uh, I I have a
0: lot of people who said it was maybe the best product review, uh, not only that we have published, but of all time.
1: Yeah. Better than anything I've done, you've done, whatever. Oh, yeah. And it was concise, and it was scathing, <laughs> and uh, it was a review basically of you, Neelai. I know. In my opinion. I'm aware of what uh, it's a
0: review of. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it appears on the surface to be a devastating teardown of Samsung uh, which that seems to be happening a lot, uh, for for making a curved TV. Yes. Uh, but really what it is is a devastating teardown of her husband, you, for going to, I can't believe I'm saying this, Walmart to buy a, a TV that was curved. All right. Can I can I just, it, offer the backstory Not here? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. And she pointed out Two major flaws, which are pretty major if you're watching all your video through this thing. One is the curvature of the screen Mm -hmm. reflects light in such a way as to screw up the picture. Yep. And secondly – Let me tell you. The curvature of the screen cuts off the viewability of people sitting at the farthest angles – so, you have to be kind of almost dead center, which means I think she said you had a 12 person couch. That's a big couch. It's a big couch. And, and a lot of the seats don't get a view, a good view of the TV anymore because you <laughs> went to Walmart and bought a curved TV. All right. Now, ma- you may, now may I
0: offer my defense?
1: You may. I, Here, we're, we're four minutes to deadline. On printing. <laughs> I'm printing. We're pubbing. In four Here's minutes, my quote but, get it in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right.
0: Here's the situation. I buy a lot of things. Well, I'm sure you buy a lot of things. I'm sure our listeners buy a lot of things. I do. One thing that is true that I did not contemplate when buying this TV is that when you buy a phone that sucks or, uh, you know, a toaster or something, you can just get rid of it. It's like they're easy. You know, I I buy phones like every couple weeks. I play with them. I throw them in a drawer. They're gone. And then I get a new one and we don't have to live with it. When you buy a TV, (laughs) you're (laughs) kind of stuck with it. You can't (laughs) stick it in a corner. You can't Uh put it in a closet. You you feel bad about throwing it away because it's huge. It's like a whole thing. You can't give it to anyone. It just doesn't happen that way. Right. So that's the – let me just put that at the baseline.
1: That's a pretty lame-o start, but keep going. But but that's that's the beginning.
0: So we, we have this house upstate. Uh We did not have a TV for it. In fact, our initial instinct was that we would never buy a TV for it. Uh Then we decided we're going to, like, build this media room so that there's people building walls in our basement. They're doing all this stuff. We're going to buy the same OLED TV that you have. It's going to go down there. The LG B6 OLED is going to go in that room. It does
1: not have a curved screen. It does not.
0: But I wanted to watch some football. (laughs) And so I, the only store that you can buy electronics from within an hour of our house upstate is fucking Walmart. It's true. So I'm like, I want to watch this football so game. Wait a minute. Today. Wait a
1: minute. The editor in chief yeah. of the leading technology <laughs> p- product review website this is goes true. This is it. I Walmart have no other option. And buys a horrible TV because he wants to watch football. Because I want to watch the question. Football. Was the football game available on your iPad?
0: Yeah, but I wanted – I had a whole vision of – because we had the sun porch. I was going to put the TV on the sun porch. I was going to drink it. It was going to be great. and It was great
1: <laughs> at that time.
0: So I go and I have this moment where I say, yeah. well, I could buy – I could spend $1,000 on a TV and get yeah. the 4K one. And that would have been fine. But if I'm going to spend, if I'm going to get the 4K, I should get the 4K HDR. If I'm going to get the 4K HDR, I should just get the OLED. And by the time I had walked through this process, I was spending like $3,000 on a TV. And I said, this is stupid. I'm putting this TV. I'm buying it today to watch like one football game that I'm never going to use again. I'm just going to spend $500. And then I looked at the two TVs in that range, the one of which I knew was the TV I should buy, which is the Vizio E-Series. I've bought them for other people. It's great. I recommend it. And then there's this other one, which was prettier, <laughs> which was more attractively designed, and it was curved. And I said, "That's funny," oh and I God. bought it.
1: You went for more attract. You you and, you and yeah. I, I were together <laughs> on the floor at Comdex, <laughs> laughing about the curved TVs. We were. I thought it would be funny. Were we not laughing about the curved we TVs? Were. We were, and I Comdex. laughed. That was it. That was, I, mean, I, bought it CS, I bought it. I bought it as like a
0: hilarious. This is so funny. I'll have it. I bought it. I put it down. I watched. I watched the football game. It was fine in that moment, because whatever. And then it got cold outside. The TV migrated its way into our actual living room. And like I said, you can't get rid... So I can't just, like, throw it away and buy another TV. Now i got the damn thing. And so... So we're watching... Now we're, like, watching all this news. It's very serious. And she's just <laughs> ranting and raving about how awful it is. And finally I said, you should just just write me 500 words about this TV. <laughs> What I did not expect, and this is true, I did not expect this post to go viral, which it did. Uh, By far the most popular story on our site the day it was published, it was even the most popular story for a time the day after it was published. I have now, I had had to take a call with Samsung and explain why my wife was reviewing televisions. They offered to send her another one of any shape or curvature that she desired, uh yeah. every other TV maker is now offering to bring her out to look at their TVs, which is great. Uh
1: so she's the queen of TVs in upstate New York? I think
0: there's some there's something very meaningful about how how much people reacted to how devastatingly she reviewed this TV. I think it's it's like a lesson
1: but that's always true. Yeah. When you when, when people perceive you as being uh you know, bringing out their frustrations or or really being not tied into the industry of the companies which of course we all try not to do yeah but but she's in an even better position to do that and she's talented obviously and her piece was really well written and i hope you didn't touch it too much uh are you kidding it was great are, 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 are you kidding i was i'm already not doing
0: great <laughs> re-editing her piece is not on the table <laughs> yeah well you know i mean i you know i cleaned it up here there but but i will say it was like between us it's like great fun right like I asked her to write it. it, it. I published it on fun, our website. But it's...
1: I I want to repeat this again. Yeah. You I have been in your presence <laughs> in front of a curved TV that you made fun of. I did, and you went and bought it. And when I bought my m- more expensive, much better LG OLED TV, mm-hmm. it comes in a curved version oh, yeah. and it comes in a flat version. And I immediately rejected the curved version.
0: I I should have to. I should have bought the E Series like. You know, there's that moment where you're like, I know I should buy this one, but I'm, I'm just for whatever reason, I'm taking the left turn. Right no, now.
1: I don't know that moment. Well, I, I, I had that moment.
0: that moment. It was it was like a does this really matter? Who cares? Kind of moment. <laughs> like all I'm gonna do no. is
1: no. No, earlier you said it was pretty. Yeah, it, it was like it's bought.
0: a it's it is. I will say this: the exterior design of the TV is far more attractive than the e series. It's it's like an it's a nice. Thin aluminum thing. The E-Series is a big, thick plastic thing. I'm not saying I made the right choice or that was the right reason. (laughs) I'm just letting you know... Where's the LG? ...in what Walmart-addled mindset I was in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. When you find something that's remotely attractive in a Walmart, it's like a sunbeam lands on you. What else did you you
1: buy on that shopping trip? Some spoiled fruit? (laughs) I mean, what else did you buy?
0: I actually really enjoy... Uh, my trips to the electronic sections that well. Because it's the only, literally, it's the only place for, for miles around to buy electronics. So I think it's really interesting that it's constantly sold out of Google Homes. Like they get them in stock, they instantly they, sell they them Don't out.
1: try to change the stuff. I'm just saying. Look, I you, think
0: of it, it's market research for me.
1: This, <laughs> I'm keeping this, it real. It's the is, it's, it's the most Republican county
0: in New York State. I just, I, I like seeing what real America's up to.
1: Yeah. <laughs> this isn't working well, you saw all. it now. So, so to I, be continued in terms of the fate of the tv i'm going to want to know what happens i'm like i said my TV.
0: plan is to is we're buying the oled for this this media room that's that's under construction and then i'll probably get some sort of vizio for the the room that it's in now and then i'm just going to put this one away and
1: then you're not going to give it to goodwill or somebody
0: I, you know well we'll like stick it it's this is what i mean it's like hard to get rid of a tv You can't just roll up with a TV.
1: There are people without TVs or without new TVs who might want it. But I – hey, this TV sucks. (laughs) Live a life of pain. (laughs) It's not a great move. It's better than not having a TV. I don't know. Yeah. Did you buy this for the game the Packers lost? Uh, No, the Packers won. That was a Bears game. They
0: won that game the day I bought the TV. (laughs) The one game I didn't watch on the TV uh, most recently, which I – I came home to watch. I came back to the city to watch with a friend. They lost, so maybe I should have kept watching
1: them on the, on this curve. Thing. On the curve TV, yeah. It was TV, a real, real lucky charm. You might have missed all the drop passes. I don't know. <laughs> oh my God. Because of the curvature. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, the Packers cornerbacks were letting the other team catch plenty. In that <laughs> game,
1: I gotta say, yeah. All right, I think we have to wrap this up. Yeah, but, I think that's um, us for this week. I, I just want to say, we're a week from the Super Bowl. Yeah, and. I will look forward to discussing the Patriots' victory with you.
0: Oh man, I'm trying. Look, I, you know, obviously I'm uncommitted. My team's out. I'm I'm open. You know, Falcons fans want to hit me up and make a case, and Walt's making his case. I gotta say, right now, leading Falcons, America's team.
1: (laughs) Patriot. You know what the word "patriot" is? (laughs) Look it up. Um, Look it up. Yeah, all immigrants also the Patriots, (laughs) right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> that's what
0: Bill Belichick only hires immigrants. That's true. And then pays TV. them cut rate salaries and, and releases them. That's after right. The um, All right. That's us. Thank you for listening, everybody. Obviously, we, there's much more to listen to. Dieter and I host The Verge Cast. Record that on Thursdays. It comes out on Fridays. Please listen to that. Our friend Lauren Good uh, hosts Too Embarrassed to Ask on the Recode side. Kara Swisher hosts Recode Decode peter Kafka on the recode side host recode media this week he interviewed kara which is very interesting i know um and she talks a lot about the media's responsibility uh in the age of trump and i think that's very interesting so worth listening to all that's available on itunes go find it rate it review it give it five stars send us feedback i'm at reckless on twitter walt is at walt Mossberg. we love your intros keep sending those through and we'll be back next week thanks so much walt
1: thank you neil